Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, once again, I love you very much. It's the joy of my heart to be with you. I pray the Lord will help me to stay strong. I can hear that uh, I'm not the only one struggling with the same call for the past few weeks, but we're going to make it through. Um, and we're going to start a new journey today. As we get ready for summer here in Candler County, we're turning the page to a new sermon series here at Cedar Street. We begin today a journey through the book of First Peter in a series entitled, Set Apart. Set apart. And you see the picture up there on the screen. We as believers in Jesus Christ, according to the word of God, are called to be set apart. What does that mean? Well, it's an exciting thing. I'm excited to walk with you through this journey to figure out what it means to be set apart. In fact, maybe an illustration to open us up as you think about light and darkness. I don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas. I've only been once. I probably won't ever go again. It's one of those things you can check off the bucket list. But back in, uh, I think it was 2005, no, 2006, I was living in California, and I got a job offer in Augusta, Georgia. And so my father decided to fly to California, and then we took my truck and drove clear across the country in three and a half days. And it was a great journey. But the most memorable part of that journey probably, other than driving through the entire state of Texas, which is a test of the will, um, when we were going from California to Vegas, we were in the Mojave Desert. It was like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, and we were going to stop off somewhere. And my father said, nah, keep on driving. We'll get into Vegas late at night, get a nice hotel, and, and we'll have fun the next day. I said, okay. I mean, when you're in the Mojave Desert in the middle of the night, there, it is as dark as dark gets. It brings a new definition to darkness. And I looked at my father, and I'm driving, and I'm saying, this is dark. And he said, put your brights on. And I said, well, I don't want to blind anybody coming down the other side. He said, Bo, we're in the middle of the Mojave Desert. It's desert rules. Every man for himself, put your brights on. So I put my brights on, and we start driving, and we're going further and further. And it's just, it feels like an endless abyss. You're just driving and driving and driving, and you don't see anything. But if you drive long enough in the Mojave Desert late at night, heading towards Las Vegas, what you will see when you get towards the Vegas Strip is this unbelievable radiant light in the middle of nowhere. It is an oasis. It really is. If you've ever taken a look at Las Vegas, it's amazing that it, it's the city that it is because it's, it's surrounded by nothing. And yet, in the middle of the night, when you're getting closer and closer and closer, that blazing light gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And I think that's a great illustration for us when we think about our calling as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to be light bulbs in the middle of the desert. We're called to be radiant light that stands out and that is set apart from the rest of the world that when people look at us, they know that God exists and that God dwells in us through the Holy Spirit and that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be set apart. And throughout this series, in the next few months, when we walk through 1 Peter together, we're going to see that we're called to be set apart in our salvation, in our holiness, in our suffering, in our hope, and in our perseverance in the faith. In all aspects, and Peter covers pretty much every aspect throughout this letter, people ought to be able to look at us and say, wow, that person is different. There's something about that person that is just different than someone who does not know God. Surely that person knows God because of the way they react to what's happening in their life. And so as we look at the very beginning of this letter, I'm going to look at just the first two verses as we begin our journey in 1 Peter. 
The title of our message here this morning is A Greeting to God's Chosen. A Greeting to God's Chosen. And here's our big idea as we look at verses 1 through 2. In one sentence, here it is. As Christians, we must be reminded daily what it means to live in a fallen world as God's chosen people. Let me say it again. As Christians, we must be reminded daily what it means to live in a fallen world as God's chosen people. All right, so that's our big idea. We've got to be reminded God's called us as his chosen covenant people. And what does it mean? How do we, what do we need to be reminded of in the world that we live in that we're called to be chosen and set apart? Well, if you have a Bible, please join me in the book of 1 Peter. Okay, we'll be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1203 in your pew Bible. If you would stand at this time. Out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. Again, we're in 1 Peter, and we're just going to read verses 1 through 2. Hear God's word to us starting in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you and praise you for the day that you have made. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house here this morning as we begin our journey in this new letter in the book of 1 Peter. Help us this morning, Father. Help me this morning to truly understand what it means to be your elect and also exiles living in a foreign land called to be set apart and a shining light for the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us today and throughout this series to truly understand how it is that you have called us to be set apart for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as we walk through just the first two verses, I want to talk about four chosen areas where God begins to unfold in this letter through the Apostle Peter, his plan, and how it is that we as God's chosen people, the church, are called to live out that plan. So the first part I want to look at is, number one, God's chosen people. God's chosen people. Listen to the first part of verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. So let's just go to the first part of verse 1. Peter, I think we know who wrote the letter. Everybody remembers Peter. If you're even just uh, a novice when it comes to reading the Scriptures, you know the Apostle Peter. He's one of the prominent members of the New Testament. Uh, He's often the Apostle known to put his foot in his mouth a few times. He's kind of a bull in a china shop. Uh, But he's not not scared to get out of the boat. That's what we know about Peter. All right, we know that... uh, He's part of the inner circle along with James and John, so he was very close to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the most visible leader in Christianity in Jerusalem, and he's also chosen by God to be an apostle to the Jews as Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's writing this letter 
some people say right around about 64 to 65 AD. So this is about 30 years after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And here's what's happening. All right, these new believers, some who were Jewish and came to faith, and some who were Gentile and did not know God and came to faith, both of them together are gathering in these new churches, and they're being scattered all over these provinces in Rome, and they're trying to live out their faith, and they're being persecuted. And Peter's saying, hey, listen, this is normal. You should be ready for this. You should experience, you should be preparing yourself for this because this is what it means to be in a Christian in a world of non-Christians. This is what it means to be holy in a world of unholiness. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you live in a broken world that does not know Jesus, you're going to be set apart. You're going to be different and you need to be prepared for that. So Peter's writing this letter to those people who are scattered to encourage them and to tell them to persevere and to find hope. And to know that it's not strange, but it should be expected that they're going to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. That's who Peter is. In fact, as we know in history, it was only about three to four years after he wrote this letter that he himself died. And he died by being crucified upside down. Because he told the people who were crucifying him that he was not worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus, his Lord and Savior. So he was crucified upside down. So he understood that suffering was coming for him as well. But he's writing to these believers, these new believers, and he's telling them, listen, it's okay. What's happening to you is not strange. It's part of God's plan, but you need to be faithful because God will be glorified and it will be for your greater good. Now, he uses a couple terms here at the end of verse 1. He says, elect exiles. It's a very interesting term. You don't see pretty much those two words used anywhere else in the New Testament together. What does it mean to say elect? Well, that that term is used quite a bit in the New Testament. It means God's chosen people. Okay, in the Old Testament, we know that God's chosen people is Israel under the Old Covenant. Well, in the New Covenant, God's chosen people is the church. We are his chosen people. We are part of his chosen people plan the church the church that jesus told peter i will build what i must call my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it the church is god's plan a and there is no plan b we are god's chosen people and it is a great joy and it should never cause us to be arrogant we should be grateful that god has chosen us and that god has blessed us and covered us in the blood of his son and what does it mean to be an exile again it just means that we're aliens we're in a land that is not our own. And, you know, I need to remind you of the, of the fact that you may be living in Candler County, but you're still in exile if you're a Christian. Uh, you know, somebody reminded me of this earlier. We call this part of the country the Bible Belt. Well, we're not really the Bible Belt anymore. We call ourselves the Bible Belt at this point in history because there's churches on every street corner in this community or in this country or in this part of the country. But those churches aren't full anymore, if you want to be honest. There's a lot of vacant churches on the street corners of many areas of the Bible Belt. So we're probably Bible Belt in name only, but we're very much becoming more and more distinct as Bible-believing Christians. And so more so than ever before, if we are faithful to the book and we are faithful to the Spirit of God who lives inside of us, we're going to look more strange to the outside world than we've ever looked before. Because more of the so-called Christian world is starting to live more like the world. If you don't believe me, just spend a half hour on social media. There's nothing about us that is distinct anymore. Anything that's set apart. 
And so Peter is reminding them, but he's really reminding us today, this is a good word for us today in 2019. We're called to be set apart. There should be something about you that is different than a non-Christian. And we, they should be able to see it in the things that you say, in the things that you do, in the things that you write on Facebook, and the things that, the conversations that you have, the money, the time that you spend. There should be something that says you are different than someone who does not have the Spirit of God living inside of them. Now, the last thing I'll say about verse 1, it says the dispersion. This is just another word to ex- explain this scattering of people all over the five provinces of Rome that are listed there. And this accounts for about 2 to 4 million people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and now they're scattered in these new churches, and they're trying to figure out how to live the Christian faith. But they're God's chosen people, and God is addressing them through the apostle Peter, And as we know now that we're God's chosen people, let's look at number two, God's chosen plan. God's chosen plan. Listen to the first part of verse two, this phrase that says this, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge of God. All right, we've studied this a lot on Sunday nights, and I've been kind of sprinkling it into our sermons here on Sunday morning. Here's what you need to know about God All right, if God is omniscient, it means he knows all things past, present, and future, which means there is no new information for God. God doesn't learn anything. He knows everything that has happened, everything that is happening, and everything that will happen, and everything that could have happened, but it didn't happen. That's God's mind. It's perfect. You cannot improve on the mind of God. So if God has chosen you, he has chosen us, the church, and then we're living in a time of suffering... That means that God knew that it was going to happen and that God also allowed it to happen for a great good. And I think we forget that as Christians today when we suffer. We say, why am I going through this? And we forget about the foreknowledge of God, that God has called us to be his people and with that comes great privilege. But also sometimes it comes great pain. And if you, need, you don't need to look any further than the cross to know that those who truly follow the Father, meaning Jesus Christ who followed him by the book, went through excruciating pain. And if we follow Jesus, we're going to follow him in his pain so that we may be glorified as he was also glorified. This is what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25. He told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus warned his disciples. They followed him for three years. And you know, some of them probably thought, I'm going to follow him because he's a faith healer. And if I follow him, I'm not going to get sick. If I follow him, I'm going to have all my bills paid. If I follow him, I'm going to have all these things done. And Jesus said, you follow me, you're going to, you're going to take up a cross. He said, and, and of course, there's a good news at the end, all right? But you still have to carry the cross up to Calvary with me. You still got to bear this weight. You're still going to have to live a life of suffering before the return and the glory and the consummation of a kingdom. And so that's what he says to all of us here today. If we love the Lord Jesus Christ, he's given us an unspeakable promise that one day he will return and there will be no more pain, there will be no more death, there will be no more disease, there will be no more separation, there will be no more sickness, there will be unspeakable joy, 
unspeakable just paradise for all of eternity. That will happen at the return of Jesus Christ for all those that have placed their faith in Jesus. You're going to live on a new earth in a new body for all of eternity and it will be the greatest thing that you could ever experience. It will be what the Garden of Eden was before the fall of man. We will be returning to the garden. But guess what? Until Jesus comes back, we're not there. And what happens, and here's the danger. Most of the television preachers today say, put your faith in Jesus and you can have that type of life right now. You can have no sickness now. You can have perfect finances now. You can have the perfect job now. You can have perfect children now. You can have all this now, now, now. You can have heaven on earth now. All you got to do is place your faith in Jesus. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, no. Take up your cross and follow me. Now is going to be a time of suffering. But even in the suffering, there's joy in what lies ahead. So keep following him. That's what he's saying. And, and, and that's what fires me up about some of the most popular Christian writers and speakers on television. They're promising you what lies ahead, but they're not telling you about the journey to get there. We're on the journey to get there, and that journey's going to be filled with joy, but it's also going to be filled with suffering. It's part of God's will. And here's the reason why. It's the suffering that will make you more like Jesus. It will. You know, I've prayed more this week than I have all month. You know why? Because I coughed so bad this week, I didn't think I'd be able to get a sentence out of my mouth. Why was I praying? I was saying, God, help me to get through the week. Help me to get over this fever. Help take care of my wife and my daughter. It's in the persecution. It's in the pain that we pray. When the sun is out, we're too busy enjoying the sun. We're not praying. We're not seeking God. And so it's not that God loves watching us suffer. And as I look around this room right now, I can just feel the weight that some of you are carrying right now. It's not that God enjoys watching you suffer. He's a loving Father who's calling you to rest in Him. But He wants you to cling to Him. And if that means to go through the suffering that you're going through, God's going to allow it to happen to break you down so that He can build you up in the image of His Son. That's His will. And that's what Peter's writing to these, these people who are scattered and they're experiencing all kinds of persecution. He's saying all this is happening according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father knows all of this is going to happen and he's allowing it to happen for your greater good and his greater glory. So honor him in it and he will strengthen you in it. This is God's will. So before we move on to point three, I just want to say, how does the foreknowledge of God fit into the struggle that you have this morning? What you're struggling with this morning, how do you respond when you know that God fully understands this and he's in control of it? Does that give you comfort? Does that even make you angry that God would allow it to happen? Let me just say again, there is no darkness in God. He's good. He, do, he does let us experience unspeakable pain from time to time, and I don't know why. And you know, the book of Psalms give us permission to share our hearts even when we're hurting in complete and total honesty. I love the Psalms because they give us permission to say, why, God? Why? How long, God? How long are you going to let this happen? Why did you let this happen? It's okay to have those prayers with God. But if you notice at the end of every single one of those so-called lament Psalms, 
there's always an affirmation, a confirmation of trust in God. God, I don't know why you did this. God, I don't know why you let this happen. But you know what, God? I trust you. I'm hurting, but I trust you. I know that you're good. I know that you have a plan, and I put my trust in you. So I call you today to trust in the foreknowledge of God. There's nothing that you're experiencing right now that God is not fully aware of and fully in control of. What he wants is your trust. He wants you to trust him. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So we've looked at God's chosen people, God's chosen plan. Let's look, number three, at God's chosen process. In the second part of verse two, it says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. All right, sanctification, most of you know that word. If you're new to the Bible, maybe you've never heard that word. Sanctification is just a theological word that means the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit who lives inside you to cleanse you and make you more like Jesus Christ. That's basically what it is. It's the work of God inside of you to make you more like Jesus. He cleanses us, he frees us from sin, and he recreates us in the image of Jesus Christ. And, that, and that's, that's basically what he's doing. You know, something else that I struggle with sometimes is when we think about being saved as Christians, we act like that's the end of the race. That's the ultimate goal. Salvation is the beginning of the race. When you're saved and you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you get pinned a number on your chest and then you enter the Christian race. And then you begin running to win the prize. It's not the end of the race, it's the very beginning. And then so as we're running the Christian race, what's happening is the Holy Spirit begins to do this work inside of us and he convicts us in sin and in righteousness. The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will deeply convict us. It says in John 16, 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That means if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, one of the ways that you know that you're saved is you have a deep conviction that some of the things that you used to do are wrong, you don't want to do them anymore. Or if you are doing them, you're deeply convicted that you need to stop. And then you have a joy to do maybe things that you weren't doing before that you're doing now that honor God. All right, so God is beginning to cleanse you and change you from the inside out that you begin to think and feel and act more like Jesus Christ. I, I wish I could say this is a one-time transaction, but this is a lifelong process. And it's painful. All right, the Holy Spirit's got to pry things away from us that we don't want to let go of. There are some things that God wants to just rip out of our hands that are keeping us from growing into the image of Christ. And it takes a long time. And the Bible also tells us that he's given us the freedom to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, which means the Spirit can deeply convict us to turn away from something that doesn't honor him. But if we ignore him over and over and over, that voice will get quieter and quieter and quieter and we'll become numb to the conviction of the Spirit, and then His power is gone from our life. And that's a dangerous thing. I don't want to be the type of Christian where I stopped listening to the Holy Spirit a long time ago and His power is absent from my life. And so we need to be constantly looking at our lives and saying, you know, God, what, what are you doing in my life right now? What type of work are you doing in my life right now? What are you teaching me right now? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to focus on? You know, for me, 
I can just tell you that it's been helpful to keep a, a journal. I don't, I'm not going to say I keep it every day, but whenever I'm in prayer or the reading of the Word, if there's just an idea or a thought that I feel like God is pressing on my heart, I begin to jot it down. And I've shared with most of you this birthed the whole sermon series out of the book of Proverbs a few months ago. But one of the things God deeply convicted me of early on this year was I need to be more careful with my words. I need to choose my words. I need to be shorter in my speech. I need to, to be able to restrain and have more weight in what it is that I'm saying. And I did not think that would come into a four-sermon a four series, but that's what ended up birthing out of that devotional time. But what's God speaking to you? How is the Spirit of God working in your life right now? If you don't know, let me just ask you, what's one thing that you're struggling with and what does God want you to do in the midst of that struggle? What's the Spirit of God doing right now? Right now. That's His chosen process, the sanctification of the Spirit. And that leads me to my fourth and final area here, God's chosen purpose. All right, so we've talked about His chosen people. All right, that's the church. His chosen plan. All right, the foreknowledge of God, the chosen process, which is the sanctification of the Spirit. Now his chosen purpose, which it says at the end of verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, we know here that God in his foreknowledge plans and the Spirit in his power enables us to obey Jesus Christ. This is our purpose. When you get saved, what's the ultimate purpose? So that you can be in heaven? Well, why do you need to be in heaven? So that we can be with Jesus. And as we're with Jesus, that we can obey him because not only is he our Savior, he's also our Lord. He is our Lord. He is worthy of all of our obedience. All right, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All right, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the, uh, the very famous passage on the Great Commission, listen to what he says. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All right, teach them my commandments. Teach them to be faithful and obedient. This is what he's saying. You know, to be a Christian does not just mean that I have an intellectual understanding that somebody died for my sins. No, to be a Christian means to be a disciple. In fact, another word for that dis word disciple is apprentice. All right, and for those of you that have worked in uh, any type of trade, you know what an apprentice is. All right, whether you work in as an electrician, you work with wood, you're a steel worker, iron worker. An apprentice is someone that doesn't just jump into the job. No, you jump in basically as an intern. You jump in as an apprentice who watches someone else do something and you imitate and model what they're doing. You follow them and what they're doing and you become basically a microcosm of who they are. You become a carbon copy of them. You, you're their apprentice and we're, we're called to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. It's not just that we just believe with our minds that Jesus Christ died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins and then we go on the rest of our life doing whatever it is that we want to do. No, we're called to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. We're called to imitate Him. We're called to do things that He would do and to say things that He would say. And we, He's called to live His life through us. And so we're supposed to live life as if Jesus is living it out through us right now, every single day. That's what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. 
And it says this very interesting phrase, for the sprinkling with his blood. What does that mean? Well, that's a reference to Exodus chapter 24, verse 8 in the Old Testament, where Moses was giving out the, uh, the covenant to Israel, and he said this. He took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Basically, basically he was taking the blood of the animals and sanctifying the people in this covenant. Well, now Peter's making the same symbol. He's saying, now that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are sanctified in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is your calling. Obey the Lord. Do what the Lord has called you to do. And if you do so, you will be set apart. But I love that he ends the sentence with this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He says this in such a way to remind us that we can't do this in our own strength. He uses the word grace. And we need to remember that as we continue through this sermon series. As we're called to be set apart, we know that we need the grace of God. Grace is not just God's forgiveness, although that's part of it. It's also God's continual strength and provision to do in us, through us, and for us what we could never do in our own strength. That's God's grace. He empowers us to do what he, what he calls us to do. And so God is calling us to obey Jesus, but he'll give us the grace to obey him if we'll be faithful. That's the promise that Peter gives at the beginning of this letter. He's saying, listen, I've called you to be obedient to Jesus Christ in your time of suffering, wherever you are right now. You're faithful as a believer in Jesus Christ. You're called to obey the Lord. And guess what? He's going to give you strength through the Holy Spirit to do what you're called to do. You'll never have the excuse of saying, I just can't do it. It's just too hard. Well, through the grace of God, you'll have the strength to do everything that God has called you to do. Everything. So how do we sum all this up as we begin this this letter and this journey together? In one sentence, I would just say this. As God's chosen people, we too must choose to follow Christ and obey Christ so that we can become like Christ. Let me say it again. As God's chosen people, we too must choose to follow Christ and obey Christ so we can become like Christ. You know... I mention this often because every time I do, people always look at me and they say, I just never thought of it that way. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. That's the cornerstone of our faith, right? And so we would acknowledge that Jesus is God in human flesh, but not only is he the image of God made human, but he's also the image of the perfect human being of who human beings should be. So the goal of the Christian life as we bring glory to God is to become like Jesus. He's the perfect human being. That's the goal. And so we begin this process. We've been chosen by Christ. We're following Christ. We need to obey Christ. But the goal is that we become like Christ, that we become the ideal person that God called us to be before sin fractured that plan. All right, not only we've been forgiven, not only we've been redeemed, we're being restored to become like Jesus. And it doesn't happen overnight. It is a day-by-day process. It's a, it's a moment-by-moment process where God is cleansing us and he's changing us and he's making us more like his son. So I'll just ask a simple question. As we begin a series called Set Apart, 
Do you believe that you're living a life right now that is set apart? If someone was to watch you for 24 hours, let's say you had your own reality TV show, all right, cameras on you for 24 straight hours. In 24 hours, could someone watch your life and without you saying the word Jesus, know that you're a Christian? That's the question. Do you know, love, trust, and obey Jesus Christ? And if so, how's it showing up in your life? How are you set apart? You know, here's, here's the good news as we enter into a time of invitation. I said in the beginning of our message that, unfortunately, this is not really the Bible Belt anymore. We live in a very biblically illiterate society. People do not know the Bible. And many people have never had a Bible in some areas of Candler County, as hard as that is to believe. That's the bad news, but the good news is, if you're truly a Christian, you're going to shine brighter in this community than you ever have before. Because this world is darker than it's ever been before. So there's something as a Christian where you're going to be set apart more now than you've ever been. And that's good news. God can really use us in these end times. He can really use us as faithful witnesses who are set apart for His glory and for our good. And for the next few months as we walk word by word through 1 Peter, we're going to look at all these aspects where we're called to be set apart and we can use them as guidelines to say, where are we in our walk with the Lord? I'm excited to walk through this journey with you. I know it'll be a challenge to all of us. And hopefully it'll be an encouragement to us as well. But just let me ask you before we enter into a time of invitation, are you set apart? Could someone look at you right now without you ever having to profess it with your mouth and say, I know, I know, I know that person is a Christian. If not, maybe this is a time in prayer as we enter into invitation that you would ask God to, show you the areas in your life that you need to turn away from that you would be set apart. Perhaps there's any of you in this room that don't even know what I'm talking about because you're not a Christian. God loves you. And God has offered an opportunity for you to be adopted into His family and for you to be cleansed of your sin and for you to be redeemed and renewed. But that would only take place if you were to admit that you need to be saved. And that you would understand and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that you too would be saved. If that's where you're at right now as we enter into this invitation, you have an opportunity to profess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. But no matter where you're at, as we enter into this time of prayer, just ask Him how it is that we can be more set apart for His glory and for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin this journey, this series, walking through the book of 1 Peter, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and minds in a new and fresh way. I just pray that you'd help us to consider what it means to be set apart. Help us to show us where there's areas in our life where we're, we're too much like the world. We've compromised too many areas in our life and we're too scared of standing out, Father. Give us the strength to stand out and to be faithful as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to do what honors you. 
And Father, if there's anybody in this room that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and God, I just, I pray that you would open up their eyes. Remove the heart of stone, replace it with the heart of flesh. Father, I pray that you be glorified in this room here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.